Well, Happy New Year. Man, so good to see you in the house of the Lord. Are you excited to be here today? Amen. Excited to be anywhere today after last year. Come on. <laughs> well, I'm so excited to be able to preach the word to you this morning. Thank you for making God's house a priority at the beginning of 2021. Uh, you've maybe seen signs like the one behind me all of your life. I know I have. You must be 21 and over. And, uh, you know, signs like that, they, they speak of what our society has deemed a, an age of, I guess, responsibility. You know, like one, once you've reached 21, now you can handle things that you couldn't handle before. And, and so we see signs like this on, on buildings and on merchandise and you know, must be 21 to purchase certain things. And, and the idea, I guess, is that by 21, you've lived long enough. You've seen enough, you've experienced enough that you can handle it. Now, mind you, most of the stuff in our culture that we celebrate handling when you turn 21 is not a, a demonstration of responsibility or, or you know, that, that's for a different sermon, though. That's not where I'm going, but, but we've all seen signs like that. I, I, pro, I put it up here because I got to just tell you today what, what happened in my spirit the last time I saw a sign like this. Now, I didn't do it in the flesh, but in my spirit, when I saw a sign like that, here's what it looked like. You must be 21 and over it. How many of you are just over it from 2020? Anybody besides me? Yeah, amen. That's okay. You can be real. I don't know how else to be, so, you know, let's just be real. I I'm over it with a lot of things from last year. It's 21, and, and I you know what I'm over? I'm over having to disinfect the groceries before we put them in the pantry. I'm over it. I'm over having to sit in the car to watch my kids play sports because I'm not welcome in the stadium. Anybody over it there? Yeah, totally over, over that. I'm, I'm over leaving the house and then turning around and having to come back to the house because we realized we forgot to get a mask. Anybody got a list of things you're over in 21? Yeah, I'm just 21 and over it. Well, I do believe that there are some things that God wants us to get over in 21. And I'm not talking about the pet peeves and the nuisances and all of the stuff that we've dealt with. I mean, there are some things that God wants us to get over. And that's why I'm excited to bring this message today because I want to talk about 21 and overcome. God has a plan and a purpose for your life and mine. He wants you to be an overcomer. I was reading something that was written in AD 170 by Marcus Aurelius. He waxed eloquent on the topic of turning obstacles upside down and inside out. He was the last of five good emperors, and he had these immortal words to say. The impediment to action advances action. What stands in the way becomes the way. Or to simply put it another way, the obstacle is not the enemy. The obstacle is the way. Would you just tell somebody that? Say, the obstacle is the way. If you're watching online, we're glad you're with us. Type it in the chat. The obstacle is the way. I was reading about Mother Teresa, and most of us were familiar with her. In 1979, she was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize. She gave her life dedicated to helping the poor and the impoverished and the sick and the dying in the slums of Calcutta, India. In 2003, she was beatified by the Catholic Church. I mean, you can't get more elite status as a believer than, than that. And you might tend to think that somebody with her credentials would live in a, in a realm all unto herself, a place where there's never any doubt, 
where there's never any spiritual discouragement. But the reality is, Mother Teresa kept a private diary. And like many things that are private when you're alive, after you're gone, they're not so private anymore. And here's what she wrote in her diary. I am told God lives in me. And yet the reality of darkness and coldness and emptiness is so great that nothing touches my soul. Mother Teresa said that. Now, lest you think less of her, let me remind you of some more astounding words that Jesus said. Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And many of you would remember that those words Jesus said came from the cross. Now think about this. On the cross, Jesus is closer to fulfilling his God-given purpose for coming to the earth than ever before. And it's at that moment that he feels farthest from God that he's ever felt in his life. How many of you know sometimes the obstacle is the way? The obstacle is the way to fulfilling the purpose that God has for your life. Maybe 2020 wasn't the setback you thought it was. Maybe it was the setup. Maybe what you're feeling right now is not an indication of God's abandonment. Maybe it's not an indication of the long, dark night of the soul. Maybe it's the reality that the obstacle is the way. And if Mother Teresa couldn't avoid depression, and if Jesus couldn't avoid feeling abandoned from his father, the truth is, you're probably not going to be able to get out unscathed either. You're probably going to deal with some of those same very things. But I didn't say that to depress you. I said it because I want to remind you, church, on the first Sunday of 2021, we walk by faith and not by sight. That means we trust God's heart even when we can't see his hand. Even when we don't know what he's up to or what he's doing. It's understanding that sometimes the obstacle is the way. I was reading about Charles Spurgeon again recently. He was known as the Prince of Preachers. Incredibly uh, eloquent orator. But is also well known that he battled depression. He even wrote about it and and, and he put this so beautifully. Here's what he said about his depression. It has taught me to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. I can't say it better than that. That's why he's the prince of preachers. I'm just going to quote him. He said, my depression has taught me to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. And here's the reality for you and I, friends. You are going to get hit by that wave like a rogue wave, like a tsunami. It might not be depression. It might be sickness. It might be financial trouble. It might be marital problems. I don't know what it is, but the reality is we all know that there is a time, there, it's, it's not if, it's when, that you are going to be hit, and you can choose to respond in one of two ways. You can curse the waves, or you can kiss the wave. And the truth is, a lot of people, you're, you're cursing the wave. I mean, you're like Lieutenant Dan in a Gulf Coast storm. You're up there screaming and cursing and shouting at God and give me your best shot. Or you can recognize that this circumstance has pushed me to a place of dependence on God like I've never known before. Yes, everything that can be shaken will be shaken. But what I found after the shaking was that I had a firm foundation. And so I kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. Some of you need to 
get a different perspective. I want to go on record right now and say this. I thank God for 2020. I thank God for 2020. I'm I'm not grateful for the presidential conflict, the political climate. I'm not, I'm not thankful for COVID-19 or, or for people getting sick or losing loved ones or being quarantined. Or none of that. I'm not thankful for those things, but I recognize something. Last year, I prayed more than I prayed before. Last year, I spent more time with my loved ones in my own home than I did before. Last year, I put this church that God's called me to lead back in his hands like never before. And so I can be frustrated about it or I can kiss the wave that threw me against the rock of ages. God uses obstacles as the way. Let me give you a scripture to ground this truth. Exodus chapter 13 verse 17 says, When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. Think about this. Just maybe, just maybe, God knows better than you do how to get you from point A to point B. He said, he didn't lead them through the Philistine country, even though that was shorter. No, he led them, the NLT says, in a roundabout way. Have you felt like maybe God was leading you in a roundabout way last year? Like, it would make sense, God, if you would just do A and B and C, but God took you in the roundabout way? And here it is, they're saying, this is the shortest route. This is the best direction. But it says, God knew something. God knew that if they go into the Philistine country and face war, they're going to turn tail and run. They're going to go back to captivity. They're going to run back to all of the vices that I just freed them from. So look at the next verse. It says in verse 18, So God led the people around by the desert road to the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. In other words, in the natural, they thought they were ready. In the natural, they had all the soldiers lined up. They had all the, all the weaponry in place, and they were, they were ready for battle. And they're looking at where they're at, and they said, God said that promised land is ours. We checked the map. We looked at the coordinates. Here's where we're going. And God said, follow me this way. Because even though they thought they knew what was best, God led them in a roundabout way to accomplish his purpose in their lives. Can I just ask you today, can you... Can you trust that God has a better plan than what looks like the shortest route for 21? Can you come to that place and go, you know what? I wouldn't have drawn it up this way, but God is in control and his plans for me are good. I was thinking this week about last year, about this time last year, I stood right here on this platform and and I cast vision for where we're headed as a church. I said, the next mile marker in the growth of this church is we will be a church of 350 people meeting in three weekend gatherings. Now, when I said that, I did it for the sake of clarity. I said, this is, we're not there yet, but we will be there. What will be a mile marker will soon be a memorial stone. We'll look back and go, remember when God moved us to three services and 350 people in weekend gatherings? Now, when I said that, none of us had any clue that within just a few weeks, we would have zero weekend gatherings for 14 weeks, 
And all the momentum that was building at the beginning of last year came to a sudden screeching halt. And as we moved through the end of the first quarter and into the summertime, and then we reopened and we started uh, seeing people come back and, and new faces coming in and the church growing, I started looking at the, the, the end of the year with eyes of faith and saying, man, now the conversation is about social distancing and spreading out and, you know, and taking all these safety measures to, to be together. And, and I started thinking, you know, how are we going to keep growing through the Advent season if we just stay in two services? We might need a third service. But no sooner did I think that, that I, man, all the, all the emotions, and you dealt with them last year too, all the second guessing, all the uncertainty came flooding back in. I don't know, man. I don't want to just throw another wrench in the plan. That's going to take a lot more volunteers. We don't have enough volunteers. That's going to take a lot more cleaning. We, we don't have enough Lysol wipes. I mean, what are we going to do here to make this work? The Bible says there's wisdom in the multitude of counselors. So I brought it to my life group. And I said, hey, Here's what I'm feeling. I mean, here's where we're at. We're kind of growing. Now, statistically, not just our church, but churches in general, you know, attendance rises at Christmas time, and, and, and I believe we're going to continue to grow. But I don't know if I should do this. I mean, what if, what if I make this decision, and then, you know, the governor makes some new mandate, and then nobody comes, and then I'm standing around with a bunch of volunteers, you know, preaching to 10 people three times. And, and, and as I'm kind of just sharing my heart and saying, I, I want your wisdom, I want you to pray with me about this, one of our life group members said, well, pastor, you told us this is what we were going to do in January. <laughs> I got so caught up in the roundabout way that I didn't even realize until somebody reminded me that God told you exactly where he was going to take you. He didn't tell you how he was going to take you there. He just told you where you were going, that you're going to be a church with three services. I didn't think social distancing would require it, but God brought us right back to that place. And in my life group, all the guys usually, our conversation involves movie quotes. I don't know if you guys do that with your friends, but and anytime Tommy Hinkle is making a movie quote, it's usually a sports movie. And so we're, we're there talking and praying about this, and he just looks at me and says, Pastor, if you build it, they will come. <laughs> of course, that's field of dreams, you know, and I'm hearing James Earl Jones in the back of my mind, which always sounds more spiritual. But I knew what he meant. You got, you, got to, you got to take the step of faith. You got to step out. You got to trust God. And can I say to you, I don't know what your obstacle is, but the obstacle that we overcome is part of God's process to get us to the place that he called us to be. Maybe you've heard this statement before. I believe it's true. There is no testimony without a test. And many of you, you've been in a test. But can I tell you, your testimony... How God has saw you through it is a part of how you become an overcomer. I'm going to show you the, where it says this in the Word of God. Revelation chapter 12, verse 10 says, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters, that's the devil, who accuses them before our God day and night. If you ever wondered what the devil's doing that's his M.O. He's accusing our brothers and sisters day and night. But prophetically, this says he has been hurled down. Now look at the next verse. 
They, that's talking about the church, triumphed over him, or they overcame him, some translations say, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. There's two ways it says very clearly here in the text how we overcome, how we triumph over our accuser. It's by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of the testimony. Let me just camp right there on the blood of the Lamb for a moment. Can I just remind us today on this first Sunday of 21, we have no victory outside of Christ. None. No victory. Jesus said it best in John chapter 15, verse 5, when he told his disciples, I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you're going to bear much fruit. But then he said this, apart from me, you can do nothing. I don't know if you've already written your news resolution. I don't know if you've got goals in mind. I would encourage you to make some goals. I read this week that only 3% of people write their goals down. You should be a 3%er. Write your goals down. But when you write them down, add this disclaimer. Apart from Christ, I can do nothing. That's the place we've got to come back to. That's what the, the waves want to push us into, this reality that I need Jesus. And so I want to do something that, that's a little unorthodox for our, our worship experiences. I want to stop right here in the middle of my sermon, and I want to lead you in communion. We usually receive communion on the first Sunday of the month, but I want to do it right now as I was preparing this message. I just sensed the Lord wanted to grab our attention in this moment. To remind us of this truth, that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb. So there's some communion elements in the cup holder in front of you. If you would grab those, you can peel back the top clear layer of cellophane and find the little communion wafer. And then that second layer will peel back in a moment. It will give you access to the communion juice. But as we take these elements in our hands today... I. I want to remind you of, of the table of the Lord. Jesus sat around the table with his disciples, what used to be the Passover meal, and Jesus gave it new purpose. Actually, it wasn't new purpose. It was the fulfillment of the purpose. The Passover was just the shadow. Communion, the table of the Lord. Jesus is the substance. And he said to them, now this bread represents my body, broken for you. And now this cup, it represents my blood, shed for you. But you can't escape the imagery of the Passover feast. And one of the instructions that the Israelites had for the Passover was that you were to roast the lamb and you were to eat the lamb. And it was very clear, you are to consume all of the lamb. In fact, Moses even instructed the people in saying, if, if that's too much food for you and your family, if you can't eat all the lamb, invite your neighbors. Invite others to come. And, and the idea was simply this, that we want all of the lamb. And so for us, it's easy to understand the analogy that we don't just pick a part of Jesus that we want. We don't just grab some, you know, popular statement. We don't just... Name it and claim it, grab it and have it. It's my year of favor, my year, my year of blessing, my year of prosperity, or I want this or I want that. No, we have to come to the Lord and say, I want all that you have for me. 
As Paul the Apostle said, in him we live and breathe and have our being. He is our all in all. So as we receive these elements today, let it be the prayer of your heart that says, Jesus, I want all of you. I want all of you this year. God, I thank you today for this bread that represents your body. Isaiah prophetically spoke so accurately when he said, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisements that brought us peace were upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. Thank you, Jesus, for your body that was broken for us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for this cup that represents your blood. Your word declares in Hebrews that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And that, Jesus, you were the once and for all perfect lamb, perfect sacrifice, that you wouldn't have to go back again and again to the cross but that your blood is enough, Lord. And as we drink this cup, we recognize that your grace is sufficient. It doesn't matter how many times we've sinned, how many times we've blown it, how many times we've failed. We receive all of the grace, all of the mercy, all of the healing, all of Jesus. Lord, we thank you for the reality that though without you we can do nothing, with God all things are possible to them that believe. So today, Lord, we express faith right now. Jesus, fill every empty place, every place that's been overtaken by things of this world, or distractions, God, we pray, take your rightful seat on the throne of our lives. In Jesus' name. Let's receive the elements together. Your victory this year is in the blood of the Lamb. That verse there in Revelation 12, it goes on to say that we overcome, we triumph over the accuser by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. The word of your testimony. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. I like the way the NIV translates that verse, Psalm 107, verse 2. It says, let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Did you know you've got a story to tell? A story that overcomes your accuser. Listen, the enemy does not want you to tell your story. In fact, the Bible says in Romans 8.1, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
Why did he say that? Because there's a lot of people that are living in condemnation, and it's a strategy of Satan. He wants you to live in condemnation for mistakes of your past so you don't tell your story. Every time you think back on your past, he wants you to think about the mistakes you made. He wants you to think about the things you did wrong, the the time you wasted, all the things, the imperfections of your life. But you know what? He knows that if he can keep you living under condemnation, he'll keep you quiet. You have a story of God's redemptive work in your life, and you have victory over the accuser. Somebody needs to hear what I'm saying today. 21 needs to be the year that you begin to tell your story, that you open up your mouth and say something, begin to testify about what God has done in your life because there's power in your story. Paul the Apostle wrote in 2 Corinthians 1.20, he said, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Amen just means so be it. So here's what the Apostle is saying. He's saying every promise is already, it's a yes in Jesus. Jesus made it possible by going to the cross. But we bring the amen. We align with what God has already said is true. Listen, when you pray, you don't pray to change God's mind on the matter. You change to get God's mind. That's why we pray. And so when we pray, we're aligning ourselves with what God has already spoken. And and this week, you heard it in the announcements earlier. This week, we are calling for a week of prayer. We are calling for the church collective to start this year in agreement and to believe God for the impossible. I even told you last Sunday, I said, a lot of people write down resolutions of what they want to accomplish. I want to challenge you to write down a resolution of what you want God to accomplish. That's a whole lot more productive list. And so our theme for prayer this week is God answers prayer. And we're going to take time every day. And we'll be posting these themes for prayer on our social media platforms. But on Monday night, on Wednesday night, and on Friday night of this week. We're going to gather for one hour in this room. And I would encourage you, clear your calendar. Make time. Make space to prioritize coming and seeking the Lord because prayer is powerful. But the Bible says that collective prayer, the prayer of agreement, is supernatural. And I believe that God wants us to rally around the the promises that Christ has already said yes to and to collectively say amen to God's will, to let it be done in our lives. Our our focus this week, uh, today, to start off the week of prayer is that the lost are found, from lost to found. And here's our prayer focus today. And we're going to do this together right now. We're going to pray for unbelieving family and friends to come to faith in Jesus. In fact, I want to ask if you Would you stand with me, those in the room? Would you stand? And we're going to go to prayer right now to kick off this week of prayer and just believe that the lost are going to be found, that the lost will be saved. I I was studying Daniel 10 earlier this week. In Daniel chapter 10, Daniel had been praying. He, He was fasting. For three weeks. That's 21 days. He was fasting and he was praying and he was crying out to God, but he wasn't seeing any answer. He wasn't 
getting any revelation. He wasn't hearing God's voice. And then in Daniel chapter 10, verse 12, the angel of the Lord comes to him and he says, Do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. And I have come in response to them. When did, when did the Lord hear his prayer? The first time he prayed. Can I just remind you, God hears you when you pray. You, you might feel like, you know, God hasn't, God hasn't responded. God hasn't answered that prayer. Maybe God's not listening to me. Maybe I'm not praying right. He said, the Lord heard you the first time you prayed. But look at what happened. Verse 12 He explains to Daniel, but the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. What year are we in? 21. He's talking about spiritual warfare. It's not a physical kingdom. He said, for 21 days he resisted me. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. But now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future, for the vision concerns a time yet to come. I believe this is what's going to happen in 21. I believe this is going to be a year of breakthrough. I believe this is going to be the 21st day as it is the 21st year. I believe there are prayers that you've been praying, that you've been waiting, and you don't know why God hasn't answered, but we see right here in Daniel 10 that God pulled the curtain back and he said, there's a reality that you can't see. There is a spiritual warfare that is taking place in the heavenly realms you know nothing about. But because you prayed, because you sought my face, because you were unrelenting, we have won the victory and we have brought the answer. Would you have that kind of tenacity to believe this year that the lost would be found? That the lost would be saved? I want to challenge you right now to let the Holy Spirit put someone in your mind. Put someone on your heart. The word of the Lord says in Acts chapter 12 that Peter was locked in a prison. But the church was praying. And then the Bible tells us that Peter saw what he thought was a vision. An angel of the Lord came in and unlocked the prison and opened the door and led him out into the street. And the Bible says Peter thought he was dreaming. Don't you want to walk with God so close that you feel like you're literally living a dream? (laughs) He didn't even know it was real. He thought it was like a vision. He's had visions before. This is a vision. The angel of the Lord physically opened the doors and led him into the street. Now listen to this verse. Acts chapter 12, verse 12. It says, then it dawned on him. When it dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. When I read that this week, It jumped in my spirit like John jumped in his mom. I believe that this year is going to be a year of breakthrough for many people who are in a prison. Maybe it's a prison of addiction. Maybe it's a prison of regret. Maybe it's a prison of pride. Maybe it's a prison of of trauma. 
or church hurt. Maybe, maybe they got offended by imperfect Christians not following Jesus correctly, and, and so they've, they've turned their back on the whole thing. They've rejected the king. But I believe this is the year that God, supernaturally by his spirit, is going to go and unlock prison doors. He's just going to begin to set people free. He's going to begin to change their mind, change their heart. People with hardened hearts are going to receive a heart of clay in place of a heart of stone. And you know what's going to happen? They're going to find their way into a house where they're going to find a people praying. They're going to find a people praying for them, for their deliverance, for their healing, for their breakthrough. Get that person in your mind right now that the Lord wants you to intercede for. Would you begin to lift your voice with me and pray for them? Father, in Jesus' name, we call the lost to be found. Lord, we pray right now, even as the church prayed for Peter, who was locked behind prison bars. Lord, we speak to the impossibility. We speak to the closed doors. We speak to the mountain of opposition that's in the way. And we tell it to be removed into the sea. In Jesus' name, God, bring breakthrough. Bring breakthrough, Lord. We rally around the amen of every promise that is ours in Christ. Lord, we don't have to ask your will about the lost being saved. You've already declared it in your word that none should perish, but that all should come to salvation. God, in Jesus' name, we rally with an amen. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Lord, we speak salvation to our neighbors, to our co-workers, to our friends. Lord, to those who are just scrolling and, and just watching online, even now, those that they're not engaging in the comments, they're just watching. They don't even want anyone to know that they're watching, but they're paying attention. God, bring freedom to their heart right now. In Jesus' name, set the captives free. And may they find their way to a house and to a people on her knees, praying and seeking your face. Let the lost be found. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. Amen, amen. Well, you can be seated again. I want to ask the worship team to come. I'm out of time, but I've got to give you this picture the Lord put on my heart this week. Give me just a couple more moments. I, I need somebody to know today, you can stop cursing the waves. You can kiss the wave because the obstacle is the way. And that God wants to use your circumstances to bring you into the purpose that he destined you for. Somebody needs to be reminded today that you are an overcomer. By the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony. And this needs to be the year that you begin to make that story known. Tell your story. But as I was meditating on overcoming in 21, I was reminded of a picture. And I want to give you a picture of victory. In Revelation chapter 2 and 3, there are seven letters to the churches. And I don't have time to, to tell you all of them, but let me just tell you what you'll find when you read it in your own time. At the beginning of every letter is a revelation of the nature of God. At the end of each letter is a revelation of the reward for those who overcome. And we get pictures of what it's going to be like for those that triumph over the accuser. I just want to give you one verse. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 17, it says, whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to the one who is victorious, or to the one who overcomes. I will give some of the hidden manna. Now, 
the manna is what fed the children of Israel for 40 years in the wilderness. And, and in John chapter 6, Jesus said, Moses didn't feed you manna. God fed you. And then he went a little farther and said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. And so this is an invitation to intimacy. Jesus is saying, you're going to be in such close relationship with me, you're going to be satisfied. You're never going to hunger. You're never going to thirst. I'm going to satisfy your heart's desire. Even your fleshly desires will be fulfilled in a relationship with me. But he's not done. He says, after that, I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. Now, what's that about? Well, commentators will will tell you there's several interpretations of what that means. And I like all of them, honestly. One of them is that a judge would take two stones, a black stone and a white stone, and put it in an urn. And if he pulled the white stone out, the white stone meant innocence. Aren't you thankful that for those of us who overcome, when we stand before God, we're justified. He's not going to count our sins against us. He's got a white stone for you. You're innocent because we overcome by the blood of the lamb and Jesus cleansed us of all of our guilty stains. But there's another interpretation of that. And I even like this one more. Because it was customary in that time in Asia Minor, and that's where John the Revelator was when he wrote this. It was a custom in that day that a person would give a special, private, and even intimate gift to someone they loved. It was called a tessera. And it was a white stone that had a name or symbols engraved on it. And it was a gift that was held close and cherished. And so the people receiving this letter in the church would have understood the metaphor when Jesus says, for those who overcome, I'm going to give you a tessera, a white stone. Now, if you've ever been in my office upstairs, you may have noticed on my desk, I've got a white stone. Now, Jesus didn't give me this one. I got this one from Garden Ridge. But several years ago, I was teaching some students about the white stone. And and, and I said, if you could pick the name that Jesus has for you, what name would you pick? Now, I don't know what name he's going to call us, but I know this. Jesus isn't looking at you according to who your parents thought you would be. He's not looking at you according to what anybody else says you are. God sees your God-given purpose when he sees you. And so I I just dreamed a little bit, and I said, you dream with me. What name would you put on the stone? And so on my stone, I I wrote the word integrity. Because I made up my mind a long time ago. You know, you, you could take my talent. You could take my job. You could take my health. Take away my family and my friends. You can kick me out, but when I leave, I'm taking my name with me. I'm not going to compromise my integrity. And one of my, one of my life verses is Proverbs 20 and verse 7. It says, a righteous man walks in his integrity and his children are blessed 
after him. So I decided, I, I want that name. You know, names are important. God called Abram, Abraham, because he's going to be the father of many nations. He called David, a man after my own heart. Jesus called Simon, Peter, because he's going to be the rock that he would build the church. He called Mary, highly favored. Jacob was called Israel, a covenant people. Names matter. And so I said, if, if I could pick the name, I want, I want the name to be Integrity. And I read a verse this week in Proverbs 13, verse 6. that says, righteousness guards the person of integrity, but wickedness overthrows the sinner. And that word over just stood out to me again. And I thought, well, there it is. You can either be an overcomer or you can be overthrown. And for somebody, maybe that's just the word you came to hear today. God does not want you to be overthrown by your sins. In fact, Hebrews tells us the very opposite. It says we should throw off every weight and sin that so easily entangles us so that we can run the race marked out for us. You don't need to be overthrown. You need to be an overcomer. And so I want to challenge you to just, just daydream a little bit. Not about what anybody else thinks of you or even what you think of yourself. But imagine the name that God would choose to describe you. This is who you were meant to be. This is who I purposed you to be. This is your legacy. And know today that you are an overcomer. By the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony, your story, it doesn't matter how much opposition you faced. The obstacle is the way. God has you right where he wants you right now. I want to ask you to stand. We're going to pray. This worship team is going to sing these words again. A song of surrender that says, Lord, I'm available. I'm available. You can use me. And if you want to come to these altars and pray, there's plenty of room to social distance down here. You can come and just seek the Lord. Or you can make an altar right where you're standing. But let's take a moment to just consecrate our lives back to the Lord and believe that in 21, we're going to overcome. Jesus, we surrender. Jesus, we trust you right now.